Hey everyone, are you planning to wage a war and you need the perfect self-help book? Today's book is The Art of War by Sun Tzu. <laughs> I'm Kellett Erskine. I'm a comic, a father, and I often lose the game Battleship to my five-year-old son. And I choose to think that it's because I'm a bad war strategist and not that he's a prodigy at destroying thousands of lives. <laughs> And I'm David Vance. I think a funny prank would be to get like 50 people and then everyone go read The Art of War right outside the White House. <laughs> I feel like that prank happened on January 6th. <laughs> I'm kidding. Those people don't read. <laughs> oh, do you think I offended the Vikings? <laughs> The Art of War is an ancient text about waging warfare. Kellen and I read it so we could crush our biggest enemy, This American Life. <laughs> <laughs> and this is The Book Pile. We will water the fields with the blood of Ira Glass. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious to me to think of Sun Tzu's reaction in the afterlife when he found out that his book... It was clearly only meant as a strict guide for bloody warfare that is now used in the West for motivational quotes during bagel day at the office. <laughs> like, Dave, imagine how you would feel if you wrote a book like on how to maximize creativity and then a thousand years in the future, people are like, hey, check out this book. That's a great metaphor for hunting. <laughs> I was trying to think of the oldest self-help books. And doesn't it say something about humans that the ones that have lasted are like this one about killing a ton of people and then the Kama Sutra? <laughs> <laughs> it's like if an alien civilization found our destroyed Earth in a million years, our whole existence would be summed up as F. Mary Kill. <laughs> All right, if you want to see me live, I'm going to be in Elk Grove, California this week, September 16th. And then I'll be in Denver, Colorado, September 23rd to the 24th. Get there before it snows. <laughs> Just kidding, it doesn't do that anymore. <laughs> I'll be at Comedy Works South, my favorite comedy club in the country. Go to kellenerskin.com for all those tickets. Finally, our next book is Good Night Moon with special guest Chad Daniels. All right, and without further ado, here are four lessons that we took from The Art of War. All right, lesson one, pretend to be weak. <laughs> this is a short one, and it's just one line from the book. Pretend to be weak that your enemy may grow arrogant. And a real-life example, in the big short, when Michael Burry was betting against the banks, he wanted them to underestimate him, so he just acted really stupid around them, and they never suspected he was killing them. <laughs> Another example, my girlfriend is pretty quiet in big groups, and I've seen her win board games just because no one thinks she's a threat. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes if you can get your enemy to not take you seriously, there's a big advantage. I think this is a great way of recovering from like when you go up to a storefront door and pull it and you think that it's locked, but you really just haven't been pulling the door hard enough. <laughs> so when someone else walks up, opens it and enters the place you just follow him in like Haha, the art of war <laughs> now they will underestimate me <laughs> useful in case we're ever enemies <laughs> here in this burlington coat factory <laughs>
This isn't quite the same thing, but Kellen, did you ever hear about that intramural team that named themselves No Game Scheduled? <laughs> and so they just won a bunch of games by forfeit because the other team wouldn't show up. <laughs> the dark, scary version of that is one time I got in an Uber and the driver was visibly disappointed. And he said, oh, I saw your name. I thought you were going to be a woman. Oh, no. And I was like... <laughs> Yeah, I think I'll take Lyft tonight. I don't, what? <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do? Sorry. <laughs> also, what an expansive age range that guy must have. Just any woman was going to be exciting. <laughs> Sorry, tonight you're driving Mr. Daisy. <laughs> All right. Lesson two, surprise is a powerful tool. So Dave... Yesterday, I... Boo! <laughs> Dave just spilled hot peppermint tea all over his Gryffindor pajamas. <laughs> Illustrating the power of surprise. How dare you call me a Gryffindor? So the more... What? <laughs> the more I read and experience life and scare people... The more it seems that just the act of surprise is a consistently useful tool in so many arsenals, yeah. in communication, in making memories, in gift giving, in stories, romantic relationships, in haunted houses, etc. Right? Like, <laughs> no one wants to go to a haunted house where before every corner there's a guy who's like, "It's going to be a zombie in that mirror." And I should also clarify, uh, in relationships, not all surprises are great either. <laughs> Sun Tzu describes in multiple chapters of this book how essential surprise is in battle. He says, when you move, fall like a thunderbolt, just like how me yelling boo made Dave's Hogwarts <laughs> mug fall on his lap. Um, he continues, and this dovetails to what you were saying, Dave about pretending to be weak. He says, all warfare is based on deception. When able to attack, we must seem unable. When using our forces, we must seem inactive. When we're near, we must make the enemy think we're far away. When we're far away, we must make him think we're near. So with all these surprises, he's basically saying, in war, every day is opposite day. <laughs> What's funny is that when I read that, it's like it says, this will fool your enemy, unless they have also read The Art of War. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I wonder about this, because in the very light research I did about this book, it, it was apparently written somewhere around 2000 years ago, but it wasn't translated to English till 1905. And I just wonder wow. at that time uh, if anyone asked China, because I'm sure that China would have been like, no, that's OK. No, I mean, you wouldn't want it. <laughs> it's very boring. <laughs> It's hard to generalize D-Day because it was such a massive, complicated, you know, the largest amphibious attack in world history. But the parts of D-Day that were successful were based on surprise. And the most tragic parts uh, were when portions of the surprise attack were discovered. But Dave, I'm just remembering now, weren't you saying that part of D-Day was that the um, American troops had like a facade of like tanks and troops? Oh, yeah. They had a whole fake army parked across the English Channel and the Germans lined up against that one thinking that's where the attack would come. <laughs> 
Also, something that I skimmed over was apparently German troops were less aggressive than they could have been in many of the attacks because they needed the okay from Hitler, who slept in on D Day. <laughs> Imagine what, when you haven't、uh, switched out the batteries in your alarm clock and then 20% of your army is killed. Isn't it weird that him sleeping in was probably one of the most morally positive actions of his life? <laughs> so, my takeaway is look for ways that you can be more surprising at work, at home, on the freeway.、Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding, but isn't a good joke a surprise, too? Also, again, I know that Sun Tzu is rolling in his grave right now, going, There's not supposed to be a takeaway. <laughs> Other than you should surprise people in order to kill more of them. <laughs> He would definitely run a horrific haunted house. <laughs> I was listening to an interview with Paul Simon where he said, It's so important to be surprising in art because if you're not surprising, the audience gets ahead of you, and once they do, they stop paying attention. And he surprised art by firing him from his band. <laughs> Oh, did he? <laughs> no, I don't know if that's how it works. I just thought the joke was funny. <laughs> All right, lesson three use peer pressure. This is a short one. He talks about why they made armies march in these big groups, and a big part seems to be peer pressure. He says, in a single united body, it is impossible either for the brave to advance alone or for the cowardly to retreat alone.、Hmm. And I gotta say, it'd be harder to be a coward if to do it. I had to run in the opposite direction of 199 of my buddies. <laughs> Think of me sprinting alone across a field, my mess kit clanking against my backpack, with everyone I know watching. <laughs> anyway, a great piece of advice I got was make friends with the kind of people you want to be, because the peer pressure just makes it so much easier. That reminds me of the story of the、uh, inception of this podcast where I wanted to do a podcast and you were reluctant. So then I invited over like a dozen other podcasters and we all tried to make Dave smoke cigarettes with us. <laughs> all right. Lesson four calculate. And if you don't think that Dave would bring a calculator to a battle, Just remember that he once made an Excel spreadsheet to play axes and allies. <laughs> and then I didn't even end up playing. <laughs> I've played it twice with people who have played it way more than I have. And both times they said, It's hard to pick up, so we'll walk you through it. And then they basically played all my turns. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I have to say, I'm already not a big fan of,、uh, of games, board games, card games, et cetera, but I'm especially not a fan of those games where every time it's my turn, someone starts a sentence with what you're going to want to do. Because, <laughs> first of all, it's not true. What I want to do is leave. <laughs> So Sun Tzu says, quote, The general who wins a battle makes many calculations in his temple ere the battle is fought. Dave, have you seen、uh, Free Solo? No, people keep telling me I need to watch it. 
So it's this documentary of Alex Honnold who attempts a free solo climb of El Capitan, meaning climbing it without ropes. El Capitan in Yosemite is the tallest granite monolith in the world, at least if you believe the conspiracies of Wikipedia. At 3,000 feet, it's taller than two Empire State buildings on top of each other. Or 30 skyscrapers that are each 100 feet tall. (laughs) I still don't get it. Do you have more examples? Or seven football fields standing up. <laughs> you know that I hate I hate all of those things when people compare something. It's like, no, I know what 3,000 feet is. Like, it's not going to make more sense to me if you break it into thirds. <laughs> it's taller than eight guys. <laughs> In the documentary, he tells the story of when he climbed Half Dome without ropes, um, the flat side, not the not the tourist side with built-in handrails that I climbed when I was 14. <laughs> but he mentions how sloppy he felt doing it, even though he made it, because he hadn't climbed it enough beforehand to make an exact plan. Oh. He also brings up how anticlimactic it was because... <laughs> He wasn't doing it for the fame. And when you don't tell anyone that you're doing something like that, especially on a tourist destination like Half Dome, no one knows what to think when they see a guy just climb up over the edge. <laughs> I dropped my camera. <laughs> I'm sure people were like, what, did that dude just hop down there for a second and come back to impress us? Just imagine like a dude with a fanny pack emerging from the horizon without a word and just walking away. You didn't see any cops go by, did you? <laughs> At college, there was this class that had in the center of the classroom a full trap door. And it was always my dream to hide there and wait for a class and wait half an hour and then just pop out and sprint from the room. (laughs) (laughs) I thought about doing it on St. Patty's and dressing up as a leprechaun. (laughs) (laughs) So then the process for him climbing El Capitan free solo, it took years of prep because he scaled it dozens of times with equipment. And every time he did it, he made exhaustive notes for every single move of the climb. And then he memorized all of it. Wow. By the way, they say nobody's perfect, but don't you think every living free solo climber has to be? (laughs) If there's ever a sport where the margin of error has to be zero. Curling. So Sun Tzu's whole philosophy is being as prepared as possible to most increase your odds of winning, right? It's like giving you your best chance. He says, quote, thus do many calculations lead to victory and few calculations to defeat. How much more to no calculation at all? I think this is profound and true and again, so applicable So much so that I want to call BS on every action movie where the hero's like, I'm just making this up as I go. (laughs) Uh It's like, oh, sure. Then you are the smartest person in the galaxy. (laughs) You remember that moment in The Dark Knight when the Joker says to Two-Face, do I look like a guy with a plan? And it's like, (laughs) absolutely you do. (laughs) (laughs) Among other things, 
You armed yourself with semi-trucks, a bazooka, and a helicopter trap and intentionally botched that whole mission just so you could get arrested, just so you could talk to Batman so that he would have to choose between the lives of two friends that the Joker had placed in two separate buildings that were both set to explode moments after that conversation. Uh It's like, yeah, doesn't really seem like you're improvising. (laughs) On that topic of calculating, I just listened to an oral history of The Office, and they're talking about the Jim and Pam moments, and they say there's like one of them an episode, and they may seem very natural, like that's the only way it could have gone, but for every one of those moments, we thought about every possible way it could have gone. How much can they touch each other? How happy are they? How awkward are they? And so it seems natural, but we went down like every path before deciding on how we did it. Wow. I love that idea. We've talked about that uh, principle before of like in a lot of art forms, when something is done well, the effort behind it is invisible. Yeah. That's why I think that stand-up comedy gets more hecklers than any other art form. Like I brought up the example before. You don't see people heckling a ballet. (laughs) What a good idea, though. (laughs) Do the old twirls. (laughs) I think that people just have this idea that it's much more casual than it actually is because it looks like a stand-up comic is just standing up there talking. But Mm -hmm. all of those people just need to go to an open mic to see how hard it is for the Mm -hmm. first 10 years or so to make it look like you're just standing up there naturally talking. Yeah. The phrase I use with myself is, you don't see the invisible until you trip over it. Mm. (laughs) I'll give an example. There's the scene in Little Women. It's very similar to a scene I was trying to write. And it looks pretty straightforward. And so I tried to write my scene and it wasn't working. And so I went back and rewatched her scene and I was like, oh, she's doing all these extra things that I'm not doing. And I'm only noticing those extra things after I already tried and failed. Mm. Mm -hmm. So there's all these things going into it that you just don't realize until you try doing the same thing. I'm six foot, so another thing I trip over is little women. (laughs) All right, random facts. I gathered some of my favorite war quotes, and I feel weird saying that. (laughs) The quickest way of ending a war is to lose it. George Orwell. War is God's way of teaching Americans geography. John Stewart. The time not to become a father is 18 years before a war, oh, E.B. White. man. Sorry to really bring the room down on that last yeah, one. That was like... So I love in one of the chapters, uh, Sun Tzu talks about how to recognize what the enemy is doing from a distance. These are a few of the more interesting ones to me. If his camp has easy access, he's tendering a bait. Movement of the trees in the forest show that the enemy's advancing. It's like, yeah, either that or a (laughs) T-Rex. He says, birds taking flight signals an ambush. And I love this advice. And I would go further and like bring lots of birds with me just to (laughs) release them as a trick if I had a small (laughs) army. (laughs) But I'd confuse them. I'd have like doves and parrots and ostriches. (laughs) And you would yell, surprise. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> There's lots of us. <laughs> right, guys? Ready for the ambush? Yeah, yeah, we're ready for the 
Bush. Okay, everyone. <laughs> you know how every self-help book gets like 10% of the readers to pick up a weird new hobby for like a couple weeks? <laughs> this is the most dangerous book for that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite war stories is during the revolution, there was a plan to kidnap the British general, Henry Clinton. But Hamilton killed the plan because he said the British government could never send another general as incompetent as him. (laughs) (laughs) I just love this quote. No ruler should put his troops onto the field merely to gratify his own spleen. (laughs) So if there's any lesson in this ancient text. (laughs) (laughs) What if there are just more of these cultural associations that have been lost to history? Like the heart is where you feel love. Spleen is bloodlust. <laughs> Lungs are tickles. <laughs> For various reasons, none of my brothers have ever beaten me in a game of risk, and we used to play a lot. And there was this one New Year's we were playing for hours, and my brothers Ben and James had me on the ropes. I was about to be defeated. And James realized if he killed me, Ben would be the most powerful, and he would be the first person to have ever beaten me. So James turned on Ben and destroyed him instead, and then I won. (laughs) I really hope James did not enlist. (laughs) Fast forward 15 years into World War III, and he's just like kamikazing everyone. He's like, we're going down. There's no way I'm letting the French take this war. (laughs) Sun Tzu says, peace proposals unaccompanied by a sworn covenant indicate a plot it's like oh really (laughs) like if a guy rides up on a horse with a white flag and he's like hey truce huh let's shake on it but he's crossing his fingers behind his back (laughs) so dave what's the bravest thing you've ever done i don't actually know that i have an exciting answer to this (laughs) my true answer is stuff like leaving med school and leaving consulting to do more comedic stuff. The fun answer is there was a week where I paid bail and ransom in the same week. (laughs) Whoa. Wow. I don't want to give details, but the bail and the ransom were both successful. Although the bail guy did not pay me back, even though he promised. (laughs) In terms of security of investments, I think it's bonds, (laughs) someone else's bail, (laughs) And the ransom thing. I can't even imagine being asked to help someone with ransom. I think I would be like, uh, I don't give in to terrorists. <laughs> Those sound like crazy stories, and now mine's going to seem less good. You just <laughs> pulled your own lesson over me where you pretended to be weak, and then you were like, <laughs> oh, also, I saved a life with ransom money. <laughs> So the bravest thing I've ever done, I was in an ice cream parlor, stay with me, and a bat flew into the place No, and everyone lost their minds. Wow. It was like a, a room full of Bruce Waynes. And I realized, oh, I guess I'm the only one not afraid of bats. <laughs> it was pretty hilarious. Like it was swooping in circles and Everyone was hitting the deck. <laughs> and I I rose from my booth like Superman. It landed on the floor 
And I just sort of like crouched down and gestured my hands toward it and it jumped a few feet and landed again. And I kept doing that and guided it out the open door and I got a standing ovation. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I have to say, I've done thousands of comedy shows. This was the most satisfying applause I've ever experienced. <laughs> Kellen, if you want, I will run onto the stage at every one of your shows with a gun and you can disarm me in front of the crowd. <laughs> anyway, check out my new show on Animal Planet, The Bat Whisperer. Also, when that thing was flying over the open tubs of ice cream, I'm pretty sure it dropped some guano and started COVID. <laughs> All right, to recap, our favorite lessons from The Art of War. One, pretend to be weak. Two, surprise is a powerful tool. Three, use peer pressure. Four, calculate. And five, build a Death Star. (laughs) 